Welcome back and welcome to Seppa Stories. And I do apologize for a little delay in getting back with you, but we are continuing into our story of Into the Killing Seas, written by Michael P. Spradling. And I do hope that you have had refreshing last few days. I know that it's been a bit stressful. Um, extended quarantines and worries about trying to go back to work or maybe being home from school. So I do understand how nerve-wracking this might have been and is for many people. We're there too, but we have this. We're in this together. Um, And I'm going to continue reading for you. So just to recap, if it's been a little bit, we had the two boys who had stowed away on the USS Annapolis. And we have Benny, who is a U.S. Marine, and he was on board the ship. And he has brought on board with him two young boys, Patrick and Teddy. And Patrick is really more uh, the young man who is telling the story. It's his perspective. So... Let's continue on with our story into the Killing Seas. We're in Chapter 8, and where we had last finished, they were hanging on to a pallet, or almost like a tabletop, that had fallen into the water. Very, very titanic. And, you know, they were trying to stay away from the other groups, or maybe trying to get towards them. There are a lot of people in the water, and... Now, the sharks have started to come closer to the sailors, you know, who have already survived the sinking of a ship. And, you know, now, of course, the sharks are hungry. So, as a recap from the end of chapter 7, I'm going to read about the last paragraph. And then go straight into chapter 8, which is titled Relentless. And will begin now. So, beginning with the end of chapter 7. Now, it was sharks. There were sharks in the water, and from the sound of it, they were all around those men. And I stopped paddling and floated there, waiting for someone, anyone, to tell me what to do. Benny was too far gone at that moment to realize what was happening. And then, below the surface of the water, something hard and scaly brushed up against my leg. The shark had found us, and like the other men had, I screamed. Chapter 8. Relentless. Ha 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 I shrieked again, sounding a lot like Teddy. I climbed up on the pallet, trying desperately to get my entire body out of the water and onto the wooden surface. Clambering up and onto it, I landed right next to Benny, who came awake with a shout. Whoa, Patty boy, what are you doing? What's wrong? I was too scared to speak. The pallet was tipping, and Benny was sliding off. Hold on, sport. Calm down, little buddy. You're going to tip us over. Benny looked me in the eye and tried to calm me down. Patrick, listen to me. You're going to tip us over. This Uncle Wood is going to take us all down with it if if you don't settle down. You're scared. I understand. But but look over there. And he pointed with one of his clawed stumps. The eastern horizon was reddening now. The sun is rising. That means help is coming, Pipsqueak. 
So calm down and tell Benny what. An air-piercing, air-shattering scream to carry across the water and cut him off. No! Please, God, no! And then it was, it was a southerner, but he wasn't the only one in danger. Look out! Stay together! Back to back, he yelled. Benny looked at me with his eyes wide. What's going on? Tell me, Patty. Tell me what's happening. Has the sub come back? Sometimes those sticking subs will resurface after they sunk a tub and machine gun any survivors in the water. You hear anything that sounded like gunfire? And I shook my head. Benny got right in my face. Patrick, he said calmly, you gotta tell me what's going on. Benny can't help if I don't know what's happening. They, they, they said there were, there were sharks. I heard men screaming. And what, what, Patty boy? I was in the water, trying trying to push, trying to push the pallet, and something bumped against me. It brushed my leg, and and it was hard and scaly, and and I screamed, and I climbed up here. And Benny looked around at the water, and the waves were calming down as the sun rose, and it was easier to see. Far off in the distance, I could finally see some of the men I'd heard in the darkness. Most of them were wearing life jackets, and they had fastened them together somehow. They looked like a map I'd seen of the Philippines, dozens of individual islands bobbing up on the water. But these islands moved, twitching and jerking and pointing in every direction. He saw a shark, Benny asked, looking back at me. No, no, I, I felt it bump up against my leg, I said. All right, Benny said. He did the right thing, climbing up here like he did. But I gotta tell you, you probably want a shark. These swabbies, they're, they're hurt. They've been out on the water all night. They're tired. They're waterlogged. And what happens is your mind starts playing tricks. You hallucinate. See? Oh, God, it's Ballard! Benny was interrupted right at that moment by the southern, man, southern man's voice ringing out. We both looked and saw what he was shouting about. The dead body of a crewman bobbed in the water, halfway between the floating crew and our pallet. Encircling around the body, I spotted several large fins. Don't look, Patty, Benny said. Don't look. I saw him glance over at Teddy, who tossed restlessly in his sleep. Benny had been telling me not to look at the bad things ever since the ship went down, but I couldn't draw my eyes away from the slowly circling fins. There were three of them, dark triangles cutting through the water like the prow of a ship. The crewman floated down face in the water, making no effort to swim away from the danger that was bearing down on him, and drawing nearer every second. He was obviously dead. It happened fast. One of the fins darted away from the others and lunged towards the body, and the water splashed and churned, and then just like that, the dead man disappeared beneath the ocean surface. He was gone. The two other sharks followed, and the water soon calmed again. You did the right thing, Pipsqueak, Benny said. Don't you think you didn't? Hick, if one of them critters bumped up against me, I'd have done a lot more than yell. But you listen to me now. Help is on the way. There's two things your United States Navy is good at. One is giving us Marines a ride when we got to do the fighting somewhere. 
The second is picking up their crews when one of these rust buckets unexpectedly loses its ability to float. And it's going to be all right, you'll see. Or my name isn't Benjamin Pointexter, Benjamin Franklin, Pointexter Private First Class of the United States Marines, I finished for him. <laughs> you see. Benny chuckled. His laugh was coarse and rough, like someone had scrubbed the inside of his throat with sandpaper. Now you're beginning to think like a jarhead, like a straight-up, squared-away marine. The pallet was still tipping, and I felt like I was going to fall back into the ocean, which was the last place I wanted to be. I scrabbled backward on my butt, away from the edge, and the pallet tilted more, and we all nearly fell in. Whoa! Benny croaked. We gotta spread out, Pipsqueak. He struggled more, and he struggled to move himself over the rough surface of the wood, but finally made it onto into a corner. We were there now, like three points of a triangle drawn inside a square. The pallet righted itself, and I felt a little better. I made sure no part of my body was touching the water. There we go, Benny rasped. We should be fine now. All we gotta do is sit back until the SR teams come looking for us. What does this AR mean, Benny? It means search and rescue. The Navy will send out ships and planes looking for us. Probably planes first. Then they'll do radio over they'll know radio or coordinates and send a ship to pick us up. We floated there a minute. Benny lay his head back down and drifted off to sleep. The sun finally cleared the horizon, and I felt the heat rise instantly. It was still humid, but I started thinking maybe Benny was right. We might be okay. If our luck held, we'd get rescued sometime that day. But of course, we weren't very lucky. Thirty yards away, a large black fin popped out of the water. One of the sharks was back and it was swimming directly towards us. Penny! I couldn't help it. Penny! I shouted as loud and as I could, and the fin kept coming, heading straight for our raft. It looked impossibly big in the water, and it was 20 yards away, and then 10. Penny! He finally lifted his head up, but he was groggy. What? And I knew he had to be in horrible pain. But I didn't know what else to do. Look, look, I said, pointing at the approaching shark. And Benny struggled to sit up. He had trouble focusing his eyes. But when he saw the giant fish, he sat up straighter. Holy. Benny never got to finish what was probably another curse because the shark dived beneath us, lifted the pallet into the air, and tilted it to the side. We nearly tumbled into the water and Teddy awoke with a start and immediately started whimpering. Teddy, quiet, I said. He stopped making his noise. Somehow, during the worst times in the jungle on Guam, I taught Teddy to listen to me, to be quiet when the Japanese patrols went by, and he'd do it. But it was real hard for him. I don't know how he learned it, whether it was the tone of my voice or a certain look on my face, Whatever it was, he knew when I meant business, and he'd calm down. The pallet rocked. The pallet. The pallet rocked as the sharks thrashed beneath it. Hold on, boys! Hold on now! Benny shouted. 
but I didn't want to hold on. The spaces in between the slats of the pallet were exposed to the water, and I envisioned the shark pushing, pushing through them to bite off my hands, but it didn't. As quickly as it had come, it disappeared into the ocean, and our makeshift raft stopped shaking. We all sat there a moment in stunned silence. Finally, I mustered the courage up to speak. What, what was that thing doing? I said. Teddy walked back and forth to soothe himself, looking for its next meal. I expect it's gone now, he said. I heard plenty of stories about sharks. Don't know what's true or what ain't. But one thing I heard is they're eating machines. They basically swim and eat. So if he swam away, that means he ain't found nothing to suit his fancy here. Shoot, ain't nothing but bone and muscle. And you two together is barely an appetizer. Ain't no shark gonna come back here and eat us. I don't know, Benny, I said. That was awful close. What about before? That body? I stopped because I didn't want to think about what happened to the dead manites we'd seen earlier. Ballard. I know he was already dead, but, but still. That was different. That was an easy target for the shark. If he comes back here again... He knows Benny Poindexter is going to give him a pop on a kisser that would make the brown bomber proud. And then he's going to get a quick listen. And what's what? Capiche? Benny was weak and basically helpless. With his curled up body and burned hands, he couldn't punch a polo, much less a shark. But the look on Benny's face was what struck me the most. For the first time since I'd known him, I saw Benjamin Franklin Point Dexter, Private Class, U.S. Marine Corps, born in the Bronx, New York, fan of the hated Yankees and lover of Lindy's Cheesecake, with a look on his face that I'd never seen before. And that look was fear. Chapter 9 is titled Numbers. Teddy drifted into one of his agitated sleeps. He was never at peace, and it seemed like he was always exhausted. At the orphanage, he would fall asleep sometimes during school, but Sister Mary Teresa usually just let him rest. Every so often, she would walk over to his desk where he sat with his head resting on his folded arms. He was plagued by bad dreams, and if he whimpered or moaned, she'd reach out and pat his head or rub the back of his neck. It wasn't like Teddy couldn't do things. He ate his food and took baths and dressed himself and all the things a normal person does. When we lived with the Chamorro in the jungle, he would do what I told him most of the time. But he scared so easily and he was upset all the time. It was a wonder we were never captured. And he would not speak, not ever. No matter how hard I tried, whatever was going on in his head had to wear him out, so he slept all the time. Maybe it was just his way of escaping from all the bad things we'd seen. Now I feel guilty for bringing him on the ship. He would have been far safer with Sister Mary Teresa. Why had I done it? Once he was asleep, I scooted back across the pallet so it rebalanced. The sun was low in the sky, but well above the horizon now. It was growing hotter by the second. I scanned the water, but I didn't see any sign of sharks. I sat cross-legged, 
not wanting to lie down like Benny and Teddy in case the sharks came back. Patty boy, Benny croaked. I think you better get yourself a drink of fresh water. That'd be great, I said. I sure wish we had some. Patty. Yes, Benny. Look at your belt, he said. And I looked down to see the canteen I'd clipped to my belt when the ship exploded. In all the chaos, I completely forgot about it. It was one quart metal canteen with a screw-on cap. Throughout all the excitement, it had stayed attached to my belt. Huh, I said. They raise them bright in Detroit, Benny cracked. I took the canteen off my belt and shook it. Uh-oh, I said. What, Benny asked. It's only about half full, I said. When I heard the explosion, I grabbed it. I don't know why, but I probably grabbed the one Teddy and I were drinking out of. Patrick, Benny said. Yes. You see any drinking fountains or other canteens of, canteens of water floating around? Maybe a drugstore. We could pop in and get a soda pop. I couldn't help it. Benny made me laugh. No. I guess a little water is better than none, right? I took a swig. The water tasted like heaven on my tongue, and I wanted to drain the canteen, but Benny gave me a warning. Gotta save some, chief, he said. Tenny will be needing a drink when he wakes up. We might all need to share it. I held it out to him, but he waved it away. My mouth don't feel right, sport, he said. You keep it for now. Save some for me. I'll drink it later. I thought you said the SAP teams would be here soon, I said. Penny laughed. SAR teams, search and rescue. But I don't know when they'll be here for sure. One thing I do know about Swabies is none of them is ever on time. Your Marines is punctual. The Navy likes to take things slowly. So let's be smart. Preserve our supplies until we get more of an idea. Sound good? I put the cap back on the canteen, fastening it to my belt, but I was thinking about what Benny said about rescuers coming to save us, and I was wondering if maybe he wasn't telling me the whole truth. I knew sometimes adults thought that because you were a kid, you shouldn't know or see things. As far as I knew, Benny had never lied to me before, but I heard doubt in his voice when he trailed off about us getting rescued. Maybe he wasn't being untruthful on purpose. Maybe he just didn't know. As the morning passed and the heat rose, the sharks left us for deeper waters. The ocean surface was mostly smooth now, with just a small rolling chop to the waves. Shading my eyes, I gazed across the water, looking for a large group of floating, or looking for the large group of floating crewmen. They were further away than they had been at dawn, and the currents were spreading us and drifting us apart. I'd been thinking that maybe we could paddle their way and join up with them. Maybe they'd found the doctor. He could help Benny. In between us and them was a smaller band of men we'd heard talking earlier in the darkness. There were six of them, and they looked pretty miserable. Most of them had cuts and burns on their faces. A couple of them bobbed along with their heads down. They looked exhausted and scared. That one in the front of the group, the little squirt, all face pinched up like a weasel, 
That's Khaleesi, Benny said. He's trouble. I said nothing as I watched them. For now, they didn't seem to notice us, or if they did, they weren't paying us much attention. Suddenly, they were. I saw one of them point at us and point us out to his buddies as the distance between us lessened. Patrick, Benny said, I ain't feeling so good. I'm trying to stick away, trying to stay awake. But my hands and face is killing me. I need to close my eyes. You keep an eye classy in that bunch. They get too close, you give a holler. Capiche? Benny's eyes were shut before I even got a chance to answer him. The sun rose, and so did the temperature as the current drew Colossi's groups nearer to our raft. And when they were close enough, I could see they had tied themselves together with straps of their life jackets. It kept the waves from separating them. Two of them propped up on a grievously injured man. Colossi squinted at me in the bright sun. Who are you? He called out. I didn't answer. I just stared back at him. I'm not sure why. I just felt like if I did, something bad might happen. My skin tingled and my heart beat faster and time seemed to slow down a little. I remembered feeling the same way in the jungle. Sometimes you just got a sense that the Japanese were coming and you faded away into the underbrush or took cover. Blood rushed in my ears and my hands got a little shaky. Who are you? He asked again. I'm... I'm from the ship. The... Annapolis, I said. Why ain't you in uniform? Classy said. I didn't answer. We got a wounded man here. We need your raft. Where'd you get it? He pestered me. I tried to think of what to say if only Benny would wake up and tell me what to do. He'd know how to handle people like Classy. I didn't. I... I got... I got my own wounded. I stammered. What's your name, sailor? Colossi asked, and I looked down at my shaking hands. My arms and clothes were spotted with black diesel fuel, and I could feel it caking on my face. It probably made it hard for them to tell I wasn't a regular part of the crew, and Benny and Teddy were curled up on the pallet. Donald, I said. Are you from O'Donnell? he asked. And I remembered Billy, Benny telling Sergeant... Stinkovitz about the new crew coming aboard in Annapolis before leaving Guam and how they were going to do training exercises along the way and there were probably lots of unfamiliar faces. If I kept quiet, maybe they wouldn't know I was just a kid from Detroit. Michigan, I said. That right. I got a cousin in Michigan, he said. Listen, you're going to have to give over that pallet you're floating on. We need to put our wounded man on it. I shook my head. I got my own wounded. I said again. You're refusing us? Colossi's eyes turned, eyes narrowed. His chin was sharp and pointed, and I couldn't help but think Benny was right. He did look like a weasel. No, I said, just saying I got injured men too. I'll take your man on if you want, but we can't give up the pallet. We got no life jackets. We'll trade you life jackets for the pallet, he insisted. I don't think so, I said. Even though his face was all cut up and bleeding, I could see Colossi was getting mad. You little... Colossi started to say, Colossi, leave him alone, one of the other men said. Shut up, Dombrowski, Colossi said. We need that raft for Keller, Colossi, Dombrowski said. Keller is already dead. No, he ain't, 
Colossi turned and shot at the guy named Dombrowski. You ain't a doctor. We're making that raft and we're putting Keller on it and we're getting him to the dock. You understand? Colossi stared hard at Dombrowski, who looked away. The other man in Colossi's group remained silent. He turned his attention back to me. Hand over that raft, sailor, he said to me. Penny, I said quietly. He didn't respond. I tried to imagine what he'd do in this situation. What do you say? Colossi demanded. I said, I can't give you the raft. I got my own injured here. I can take on your wounded man, but that's all I can do. We don't have life jackets. If I give you the raft, we'll drown. Colossi's eyes drifted and darted back and forth as if he were measuring the distance between his group and the pallet. I didn't know what to do. I only knew I would never let him take this tiny hunk of wood away from us. We're taking that pallet, Colossi said. He attempted to untie himself from the group of floating men that was having trouble with the knot. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get it undone. Come on! Come on! He shouted, struggling in the water. He cursed and yanked and finally broke free. He splashed the water, paddling his way towards us, and I raised myself up on my knees. Benny, I whispered, and he didn't stir. And he had to have been in horrible pain, otherwise there was no way he would have left me to face this alone. I watched, my eyes locked on Colossi as he cut the distance to us in half. Then he was just a few short yards away. Get back, I said. No. Colossi shot back, breathing hard from his swim. And something caught my eye. And I looked up at Dombrowski and at the others, and they were paddling away. The rest of the group, with Keller's lifeless body strapped to them, swam towards the large group of men that now floated far to the west. We're taking that raft, Colossi said, and he paddled close enough that within a few more strokes he would grab the pallet, and if he did, it would be no problem for him to tip it over and dump us off. I looked around for any kind of weapon. My eyes settled on my shoes. I slipped them off. I'm warning you to stay away, I said. Colossi laughed. He was still laughing when my right shoe hit him in the forehead, and he squawked in surprise. I told you to back off, I said. We're not giving up the raft. Let's get him, boys, he said unaware. He was now operating alone. Colossi launched and lunged at the raft, grabbing hold of it with one hand and pulling it towards him. It jerked beneath us, causing me to tremble all over to my side and Teddy woke up screaming and Benny moaned but didn't regain consciousness and I scrambled back to my knees and pounded on Colossi's hand with my other shoe. Ow! He yelled and he reached up and snatched a fistful of my wet shirt and tried to pull me into the water and I hooked my feet in the spaces between the boards and hit him as hard as I could with the shoe, this time across the face. But Colossi was stronger than me and he lurched up out of the water and hoisted himself onto the pallet and grabbed me by the throat. And the instant he slammed me down onto the boards and my knees were wrenched backwards at an unnatural angle and the air rushed out of my lungs with a whoosh. Give it to me, he shouted. His eyes were full of rage and I couldn't breathe and I hammered his head with the chute, but it had no effect. And so I dropped it and smacked my hands. And his hands and smacked his hands with my own, and his grip was like iron. No, I wheezed, Teddy, Benny, help me, and the world was getting dark, and my vision was clouding.
and my hands fell away from Colossi's, and one of them bumped against the canteen clip to my belt, and I tucked it loose, and with the remaining strength I had, I smashed it against the side of Colossi's head. Once, twice, three times, and the third time I must have hit his temple, because he grunted and fell back into the water, and his face had a new cut, and fresh blood dribbled down his cheek, and it made me feel good. I was tired and weak, but I crawled up on my knees, and I sucked it in great ragged breaths, and I hoped Colossi would just go away, but he was still treading water, and still looking like he'd kill me for the pallet. I told you, he said, me and my boys taking this raft. It looks like your boys left you behind, I said. What? Colossi said, giving me a hard stare. See? I said, pointing behind him. What are you doing? Come back! Colossi screamed. His head swiveled back and forth between me and his friends, who were floating further away by the minute. Colossi looked scared and confused, unsure why he was being abandoned. No! Wait! Finally, he made his choice and paddled after his shipmates. I watched as he plunged through the water in pursuit. None of his group looked back at him as he called after them. Slumped back on my haunches, breathing hard. The canteen was dented, and my other shoe was missing. I looked up in time to watch Colossi try in vain to catch his fellow crewmen. He was a good two hundred yards away from them when a dark dorsal fin broke the water surface behind him. Colossi, look out! I shouted. He never heard me. All right. Chapter 10. Then there's three little stars, and it says 30 July 1945. Okay, so this is chapter 10. After the encounter with Colossi, I collapsed into an exhausted sleep. When I awoke, it was dark, with just a bit of moonlight shining through the clouds. I must have slept the entire day. Careful not to rock the pallet, I sat up. The canteen was laying next to me. Opening it, I took a small sip of water. Teddy was curled into a ball with his hands and arms covering his head. I poked him on the shoulder. Teddy, I said softly. Teddy, wake up. He didn't move. Teddy. I poked him a little harder, and it startled him, and he sat up with a shout. <laughs> Easy, Teddy, I said, it's just me. Now listen to me. I'm going to give you some water, but this is all we have. I held out the canteen and shook it, the water making a splashing sound. You can just take a couple of small steps and try not to spill any of it, okay? Teddy looked at me and nodded. Ever since we'd landed on Guam and Teddy stopped speaking, he'd had a hard time doing some of the smaller, normal things a person does. In the orphanage at dinner time, he would often spill his drink or drop his plate. In the morning, he'd had trouble tying his shoes or brushing his teeth. He could do the major stuff, but the little details gave him trouble. Back home, my dad had this Glenn Miller orchestra record he played all the time. Somehow it got scratched, and when it played one of the songs, it would skip back and forth, making the music sound all jumbled up. 
I always thought of that record when Teddy acted up. He just gets stuck on a thing like a shoestring or a button and not be able to work his way past it. I held out the canteen to Teddy and snatched it. Teddy snatched it from my hands. He took a huge gulp of water and I grabbed it back so he wouldn't finish it all. But he wailed so hard some of it spilled. Dang it, Teddy! I yelled and he started to cry. And I screwed the cap back on the canteen and set it on the pallet next to me. Hey, sport, Benny muttered. Finally awake, he was lying on his back. If I were being honest, the rest of hadn't done him any good. He looked and sounded even worse. Take it easy on him, Patty boy. He's just scared. I know you've been through just as much as he has, but you ain't Teddy. You can handle things. Someday Teddy will be better, but right now he needs you. You can't be yelling at him every time he messes up. He never listens, I groused, and Teddy had returned to his curled-up spot on the pallet. His shoulders were shaking, and he cried silently. He hated it when I was cross with him. He does what he can, and sometimes he just can't, but... Benny's voice was nearly a whisper. What do you mean? Benny coughed for several seconds, and it came from deep in his lungs, and it didn't sound good. I wondered if he'd breathed in too much smoke or something. What I mean is, a man goes through something. Every time he sees a horrible thing, it changes him. Some can handle it. You're one of those men. But others ain't never going to be able to. Teddy can do things. He just can't do this. It don't mean he's weak or a bad person or nothing like that. I've seen it all the time while I've been traveling around the Pacific, teaching Hirohito some manners and such other duties as assigned. Benny coughed again, and his scrawny soldier's shoulder shook. He finally stopped and moaned in pain. His condition was starting to worry me. There was this guy in my unit in basic training, big dude out of Cleveland named Kolar. Strong as a bull and the most squirt-away marine you're ever going to see. And all during these hot days at Camp Pendleton, this guy could chew up iron and spit out nails. Benny coughed again, and I gave him a small sip of water from the canteen. Even his tongue was burned as it darted out of his mouth. He licked it, and his cracked and his lips started bleeding. Thanks, bud, he said. Anyway... Carla practically danced through basic while the rest of us was sucking wind. Graduated with higher scores than anybody. Then we shipped out for Guadalcanal. We hit the beach and in the first wave of the landing and the Imperial Japanese is laying down so much machine gun fire you could have walked on bullets all the way. All the way up and shook their hands. I lost half my platoon before we even made it to the sand. And what does Carla do? I don't know, Benny. What did he do? I'll tell you what he did. He makes it onto the beach, but once he's there, he curls up behind this log. Don't ever fire his weapon and starts screaming like a wounded donkey until we turned Hirohito's ground pounders into mincemeat and shooting was over. I don't understand, Benny. I said, what does that have to do with me and Teddy? What I'm saying is some of us can handle things and some of us can't. Tough things, bad things. 
we find something inside ourselves, something that makes it possible for us to just keep going, going. We do what needs to be done. But Teddy, he like you. He can't survive this without his brother helping him. And that's why you gotta watch out for him. Color weren't a bad guy. He weren't even a coward. He just found his what his limit was. And Teddy has done gone past his limit, poor kid. But when the two of you get back to Detroit, he's going to find his thing and he can do that you can't. The thing in the world that makes him special. It might be music or he invites a flying car or maybe even grows up and takes over for that bum Greenberg and LaField. Until then, you got to do the things he can't do for him. We're Marines. We don't leave no man behind. No matter how hard it gets or how mad he makes you right now, you're the only thing Teddy has got in this world. I guess, I sighed. And say it would be easy, Sport. I reached out and touched Teddy on the back. After a moment, he stopped crying and shaking. And while Teddy calmed down, I told Benny what had happened with Colossi. He was instantly angry. And that man is lucky I was unconscious, or he'd been given a quick lesson on what's what. That's a lead pipe cinch, Benny muttered. You okay, kid? Yeah, I said. I mean, I was scared and all, but maybe it's like you said. Maybe Colossi just reached his limit. Maybe he was just trying to survive like we all are. Maybe. Still don't give nobody the right to beat up on a defenseless kid. I whacked him pretty good, Benny. I'm not defenseless. That made Benny laugh. You sure ain't, sport. You're about the least defenseless 12-year-old I ever met. The moon was sinking in the sky, and as it dropped further, the wind rose and came whistling across the surface of the water. Not long after that, the waves started up again, the pilot lifting and falling as it floated along. Patty boy, listen, Benny said. The sea is getting rough again. You gotta wake Teddy up, and you boys... Find a way to tie yourselves to this pallet. Use your belts. We don't need nobody falling off in the dark. I looked around at the water's surface. The waves were a couple of feet high and getting bigger. We had been in a debris field earlier, and I wondered if maybe there was something floating by we could use. The only thing I found was a piece of wood about three feet long and four inches wide, and I managed to snatch it from the water. I keep kept scanning the surface water, or the water surface, hoping to find a piece of rope, a strap, netting, anything. But the only thing I saw made me shrink back in fear. Benny, we got worse problems, I said. What is it, sport? The sharks are back. The big ones. First one, then two, then five. Large, dark, dorsal fins popped out of the water, slowly circling the raft. All right, that is the end of chapter 10. And I'm going to take a very quick break. And thank you so much for listening to Seppa Stories and enjoying this story about these boys surviving on the raft. And in a few minutes, we will continue on with our next chapter. So I'll see you in just a little bit. Hi there, and I am back, and here we are together. 
and I hope that you are enjoying this book called Into the Killing Seas, which is now actually reading pretty quickly. Um, I will be trying to read chapters 11, 12, and 13 for us, and then I will get this posted, and I hope that you're enjoying the story, so we shall begin. We are on chapter 11, which is titled, Sea of Fear, and I will begin now. We're just going to stay calm and quiet, and I bet they don't even notice us, Benny said. Calm? Who could stay calm? So far, we were lucky that Teddy was asleep again. I didn't think it was possible to sleep as much as Teddy did, but right now, I was glad of it. If he had seen the sharks, he might have gone all crazy again. I knew Benny was right. I needed to be more patient with him, but sometimes it drove me flipping nuts. Patrick, you got to listen to me. Take off your belt and tie you and Teddy to the raft. I would lend you a hand, but... Benny held up his gnarled, burned hands and tried to laugh, but ended up having a coughing fit. He couldn't stop. Penny, I gently made my way to his side. The pallet rocked and swayed, but finally he stopped, cleared his lungs. Benny, I repeated, yeah, kid. Tell me the truth. Are you all right? I suppose that a large group of voting men was out there somewhere, but they were simply too far away to be of any help to us now. With only the occasional silver of the moonlight, it was clear that there was no one around us. It made any thought of getting Benny to the doctor out of the question, for now at least. I'm fine sport. I ain't saying I'm going to dance the jitterbug right away, but... As soon as we get plucked out of the drink, uh, I'm going to find your parents. And then I'm going to be given Tojo, his samurai jokers, a double dose of United States Marine. Stop screwing around and get your... The raft shook and a loud crack startled us both. Behind us, one of the sharks spit off a chunk of the pallet and split several of the remaining boards in the process. It must have sensed the pallet shaking from Benny's coughing, and while I wasn't paying attention, it slithered through the water to investigate. And now it was practically laying on top of the wood with us. Teddy woke in an instant, and he scrambled to his knees and backed away from the giant beast. He pointed at it and started crying. Between gasping breaths, he keened louder than ever, and I'd worried he'd rile the shark up. Teddy, I asked, quiet down. For the love of God, be quiet. But he couldn't stop. He was terrified. Patrick, you gotta be careful, but you gotta make him stop. Please, ease your way over and see if you can keep him quiet. I think the noise is what's drawn the sharks. Right now, he sounds like a wounded seal or something. The shark was still there, chewing away at the boards and shaking its head. Then it paused for a moment. Its tail swished back and forth, but its head was still, and it stared straight at me. I looked at its dead eyes, and for a brief second, I wondered what it saw. Did a shark see a world outside of the ocean? Did it see me a few feet away, kneeling next to an injured marine, my brother screaming like a banshee? Was it trying to decide which one of us it was going to eat next? Or was it blind out of the water? Patrick, Benny said quietly, go to Teddy. Take your stick. You gotta get him to quiet down. 
I sat frozen. It felt like time had stopped. The shark backed into the water and then lunged forward again, tearing at the pallet. I didn't want to move. If I moved, it would see me. But I also wanted Teddy to shut up. Patrick, Benny coaxed. You got a wounded man on the field. You gotta go get him. Come on now. On my knees, I slowly inched my way towards Teddy. I picked up the board I'd found in the water, and Teddy was rocking back and forth, shaking the pallet, which seemed to be exciting the shark. The beast opened its mouth, and its eyes turned from dark to white, as if they had rolled up in its head. And when its jaws snapped shut, the noise sounded like a gunshot. To make matters worse, the waves were getting higher. The pallet was bobbing up and down, making it hard to keep my balance. I reached out and I touched Teddy on the shoulder, but he jerked away. Teddy, hush! I said, you need to be quiet. <laughs> the shark slipped back into the water, its tail whipping the water into a foamy froth. I hustled the rest the way to head to Teddy, and I put my arms around his shoulder, and I knew the shark was coming back any second, but Teddy fought me, wriggling away and screaming and pointing. Yeah, Teddy, I see there's a shark. It might go away if you're quiet, so let's be quiet, okay? The shark didn't like the taste of the wood, but it appeared to sense that it was near food. It lunged forward again, its jaws snapping shut, and I threw one arm around Teddy and clutched the board in my hand. I needed Teddy to calm down, and with both of us so close to each other, I needed to distribute our weight so the pallet wouldn't drop us into the sea. Where this shark's buddy were just waiting to claim its leftovers. Teddy! Teddy! Bad guys come! Bad guys come! Down! I shouted as I tried to balance the pallet. Teddy's eyes grew wide and he stopped mid-scream. Back on Guam, living with the Chamorro gorilla band in the jungles, a man called everyone, a man everyone called Iggy was in charge. I didn't know his real name or how you pronounced it exactly, but Iggy was the leader and probably one of the most responsible for keeping us alive as we crisscrossed the island, dodging Japanese patrols. Whenever they were nearby, Iggy would say, Bad guys come! and instantly we would get down low and quietly melt into the underbrush. Teddy learned to recognize those words. It was the one thing that reliably made him silent. Iggy kept us alive until American forces retook the island. He died fighting during the worst of the battle. I never got a chance to thank him for keeping us safe. It worked now. Teddy stopped yelling, knelt down, and buried his head in his arms. That's good, Patty boy, was Benny whispered. Real good. Now let's all be still. And we'll all be out of this mess soon. It was getting darker by the minute and difficult to see, but the shark was still there. It thrashed in the water just a few feet away, and we waited and waited as the seconds ticked by. Be still now, fellas. That old fish is going to have sky soon. And Teddy was getting restless, starting to moan and wiggle in my arms. Shh, Teddy. Bad guys come. Bad guys come. Shh, I whispered in his ear. But I was wrong, because this time it wasn't the Japanese attacking. It was the shark. Without warning, it lurched itself forward, 
Watch it, boys, look out, Benny yelled, and the shark flew through the water and landed with a sm loud smack on the pallet. More of the boards cracked, and the shark's jaws snapped as it thrashed its head back and forth looking for something to bite. It was huge, at least fifteen feet long, and its weight pushed the pallet below the water's surface. Hold on, grab hold, Benny shouted. We can't lose it. I held Teddy around his waist and grabbed the pallet with my hand. The weight of the shark pushed it under the water until we were submerged up to our waists. Then the shark flopped onto its side and slid across the surface of the pallet towards the two of us. Watch out, Patrick! Benny screamed as the shark's body collided with Teddy and me. Its hard, sharp skin cut my arms and I tried to hang on to the pallet, but the weight of the shark was too much for me and Teddy and I tumbled into the sea. Chapter 12 Frenzy Teddy and I thrashed underwater, our limbs gliding as we tried to ride ourselves. I couldn't see anything, more importantly, the shark. Grabbing Teddy's arm, I kicked to the surface, pulling him with me. Penny, I hollered out as long as I could. Here, Pipsqueak, right over here, he answered back, and I swam around in the water looking for him. But the waves were too big, and I didn't see Benny or our raft anywhere. Where? I shouted. And Teddy was clutching my back and dragging me under. We resurfaced, and I shouted at him. Teddy, you gotta settle down, or we're both going to drown, I yelled. I tried prying his arms from around my neck, but he had a grip like iron. The only thing I could think to do was to duck beneath the water, pulling him with me. I held my breath, breath waited making sure I didn't sink too far. Teddy still struggled and thrashed, trying to hold on to me, but his instinct for survival finally won out, and he shot upward, and I came up sputtering behind him and grabbed him loosely around the neck. You gotta kick your legs, Teddy, so we can tread water. We need to find Benny and get back on the raft. I didn't have to worry about Teddy kicking his legs. He was wild with fear. He spun about like a maniac. It kept us above the water, but it also brought an unwanted visitor. Patrick! Benny shouted again. His voice was coming from somewhere behind me. I turned, holding Teddy with my left arm, and no more than ten feet away was a shark coming at us with its mouth open wide. This close, its teeth looked like daggers. Its jaws yawned even wider, its mouth looked big enough to swallow the two of us whole, and it came closer, and all I could focus on was the way its teeth gleamed with bright white menace against its dark skin. I still had the board in my right hand, and I swung it with all my strength I could muster, and it hit the shark square on its gills. The beast seemed to bristle and dove beneath us the rough surface of its skin scraping against my legs. I could barely see it, only the tail slicing through the water surface. And now it was somewhere below. The sky was dark now and cloudy. What kind of place was this? The sun burns all day, and at night you get clouds covering up the moon so you can't even see. Benny! If he answered, I couldn't hear him over the sound of the waves, the wind, my shrieking brother. Two more fins popped up out of the water, slowly circling us. They were just out of reach of my weapon, such as it was. Teddy, 
thrashed and struggled, so I pulled him onto his back, my arm looped over his shoulder and under his right arm. I had to stop him from attracting their attention. Daddy! I shouted. Take a deep breath and hold it. It will help us hide. I told him in his ear. For once he did what I told him. I did the same and floated on my back, supporting Teddy by letting him rest on top of me. We let the waves carry us, but the sharks kept circling, and I wondered if they could smell the blood from my cuts. We let our breath out slowly and started to sink. The fish were yet to make a move towards us. Take another breath, Teddy, I whispered. The Japanese are close. And Teddy sucked in a great lungful of air, and we held our breath and floated again while the sharks sized us up. Every instinct told me to shout out for Benny, but I had this feeling that if I did, the sharks would attack. That might set Teddy off again. The thought of holding our breath throughout the night was beyond, or not something I was looking forward to. But it beat dying. Soon, more fins appeared. Now there were sharks all around me, all around us. There was no way for me to keep my eyes on all of them. Teddy, I whispered, we're in the jungle now, hiding in the underbrush, just like with Iggy. Those dark things, those are the enemy. You watch the front, and I'll watch the back. If you see them coming, you say so, and you shout out, and Iggy will shoot it. Nod your head if you understand me. Teddy took a deep breath and nodded, and I turned him until we were floating back to back in the water. As we held our breath, I hooked my left arm through Teddy's right arm. I held the short board in my right hand. In my mind, I sat in the sands at Briggs Stadium with my dad. I closed my eyes and I saw Hank Greenberg stepping up to the plate, his spikes digging into the dirt, and I saw the pitcher wind up and release the ball. Then I saw Hammer and Hank take that sweet swing, the ball jumping off the bat, rifling its way through the air and over the wall. The sharks were the baseball. The board was my Louisville slugger. And if any shark came near us, it was going to get a quick lesson in how a kid from Detroit, Michigan could fight. If we were going down, we were going down swinging. I didn't know another way to be. I wouldn't just give in. Benny said there were people looking for us. We were going to make it out of here, all of us. Or my name wasn't Patrick James O'Donnell of Detroit, Michigan. The smallest of the group slowly swam towards me. I guess it could smell the blood on my legs after all, and I twisted us around so that Teddy was behind me. Closer and closer it came. Its nose was blunt and square, and then closer it came. And it slowed its approach as it drew nearer. The shape of its head made it hard for me to get the right angle to hit it in the gills. The other sharks just kept circling us. I figured if I popped it square on the nose now, it'd just make it angrier. But I wanted to be ready, just in case, so I lifted the board out of the water. I noticed that my arm was covered in blood and the dark sludge of diesel fuel. We must have hit another patch of it. And even though I was bleeding more than I thought, the smaller shark just sort of hovered two feet away. It didn't attack us. Neither did its friends. Maybe it was like Benny had said, we were small, and they were looking for something more than an appetizer. Back home, our next-door neighbors, the Mosleys, had a dog. His name was Brewster, and he was a friendly mutt. Teddy and I liked playing with him. 
Every day when we came home from school, Brewster would come bounding over from the Mosley's yard to greet us. The first thing he would do was sniff our legs and hands and arms, really checking us out to see if we smelled like anything interesting. It was like the shark was doing the same thing. Teddy and I were holding our breath and floating along. As long as we didn't kick or splash, the sharks acted like curious dogs, more interested in smelling us than eating us. Teddy, you keep an eye out, I said. If one comes near, you let me know. I must have not had a very interesting scent because a shark in front of me took one last look, then dove beneath the surface and was gone. It was no cause for celebration. The others hadn't gone anywhere. I couldn't shout out for Benny. I was afraid the noise would bring them after us, and now I was worried that Benny and the pallet had carried away far from us on the current. Would this be how we would spend the night? How we would die? A standoff where we would be too quiet and the sharks waited for us to make a single sound as if as if that were permission to finish us off? <laughs> Teddy shouted, pulling me back from my morbid thoughts, and I jerked around to look, and I found that one of the sharks was swimming towards him along the surface of the water. I pushed him behind me, and the shark lunged forward, and I swung the board down on its snout as hard as I could, and with a great thwack, the board splintered in half lengthwise, and it was like fighting a dinosaur with a toothpick. One of the broken pieces spun out of my hands, but the piece I was left with had a sharp point. And the shark shook its head as if it was confused and then angled towards me, and I jabbed the sharp edge of the stick at its eye. The shark didn't back down, but I didn't either. It kept stabbing at it as it stared out at me with cold, soulless eyes. It looked like a robot from one of the science fiction comics we bought at Craig's, and it was designed, all it was designed to do was eat. Get away, I shouted. Get away from us! And I stabbed it again and scored a direct hit on its eye with a pointed end of the stick. Lance alone! <sighs> Teddy had lost his concentration, and he kicked and screamed and thrashed in the water, and we had nothing to lose. So I shouted and kicked with him, and I hit the shark in the eye again, and it peeled away, but the noise was now drawing the attention of the other sharks, and they veered towards us. Hang on, Teddy, I said. Hang on! I won't let them get you. Don't worry, buddy. You're the best bro. A large, wake up, a large wave rose up behind the sharks, and there came Benny on the pallet. It hit the water with a loud smack right between the onrushing sharks, who were startled by its unexpected appearance. Get up here, boys. Hurry! Benny shouted. The sharks turned tail and swam away, but I was pretty sure they would be coming back. I grabbed Teddy and put his feet and put his foot in my cupped hands to boost him up onto the pallet. Help me, Teddy, I said, but I wasn't sure I had the strength to make it up. Teddy just sat there, not moving, curled on the side, and Benny scooted over and held out his arm, and I couldn't take his hand. It was too badly burned, but he couldn't lift me, and I finally found the strength to clamber up the rest of the way. The waves lifted the raft again and slammed it down on the water's surface, and I rolled onto my back. How did you find us? I said told you, Benny said. Marines don't leave no man behind. Alright, chapter 13. And this will be our final chapter, Night Terrors. And the date is 31st July, 1945. Alright. That night, I was the most scared I've ever been in my life. I'd been frightened many times in the jungle. 
before we met for Manala, Dad took us to see Bella Lugosi in the double feature at the Phantom Creeps and the Son of Frankenstein at Fox Theater. I still remember how much I jumped when the Son of Frankenstein appeared on the screen and how Dad had chuckled at me, but not too much, because he jumped too. I spent most of the night scared out of my wits, but Hollywood monsters were nothing compared to real-life sharks with a taste for blood. I still don't know how we survived the onslaught. The palette was waterlogged and coming apart, especially at the big gash down the middle. It creaked and moaned as it was tossed about by the waves, and the noise must have attracted more sharks because they were constantly attacking and knocking against it. After one visit by a 15-foot tiger shark, another of the boards snapped and hung loosely, attached only by a single nail. I managed to pry it off the pallet with the nail still sticking out of the end and used it to poke and club the sharks away. For some reason, the nail made me feel better. I had an actual weapon, but I knew I was just getting slap-happy from lack of sleep and water. A nail against sharks three times my size? Yeah, that would work since I didn't happen to have a cannon laying around. Benny lay in the middle of the raft with Teddy huddled next to him. Benny couldn't hold him or hold on to him to keep him secure on the pallet as he would have liked because of his burned hands, but he did his best to comfort him with soothing words and even the occasional song. Several times, when enough moonlight shone through the clouds, I spied the bodies of dozens of dead soldiers and sailors floating by in the waves. They bobbed in the water, rising and falling to the rhythm of the ocean swells, and when the seas turned rough, it didn't matter, not to them. They didn't have to worry about anything anymore. Hours passed, and finally the waves calmed. When the clouds parted for a moment, the moonlight revealed one of the dead men floating close to our pallet. He wore a life jacket and clutched another in his hand. I wanted them. Teddy could have one, and Benny and I could share the other, but it'd give me one less thing to worry about, and they were right. They were there, just a few feet away, but they weren't close enough to reach. I slid closer to the edge of the pallet, as far as I did without falling, dared without falling into the water. I set the nail stick down, grabbed hold of one of the pallet's wooden slats, and leaned out over the water. I hoped for once the sea would be on my side, that the waves would push loose the life jacket and push it closer. Nothing doing. So I grabbed the nail stick and extended my arm as far as I could. There was no way I was going in the water, not even for a life jacket. I knew the sharks were there, even though I couldn't see them. Instead, I stretched out and strained, trying to reach it with my stick. My arms shook, but I couldn't stop trying. With one last effort, I hooked the nail over one of the straps. Success! I pulled it toward me and sat back up on the raft. And just as I was about to yank it onto the pallet, I heard a sharp intake of breath, and the water exploded in a flurry of splashing foam. Was it another shark? I needed my arm. More than anything, I needed the jacket, so I jerked backwards, losing my balance, and nearly tumbled over the other side. Let me go! Let me go! Who was yelling? Benny and Teddy hadn't moved from their spun on the pallet, and I realized the strangled voice was coming from the dead soldier. Only, he wasn't dead. He was alive. And thrashing. Stop! You've got to calm down, I pleaded, willing him to settle himself before he attracted the sharks. Get away! You get away from me! 
Okay, all right, just relax. I let go of the life jacket. He pulled it back into the water with him. Who are you? He demanded. I'm just a survivor like you. I don't know you. What did you do with Lukowski? I don't know any Lukowski, I said. Liar, I saw you. I saw what you did. He let go of me and was treading water furiously. I don't know what you think you saw, but I didn't do anything to let the sailor lunged at me, thrashing and kicking, the water foaming around him, and I swung my nail stick and I hit him on the rest. Ow! Why did you do that? Where's Lukowski? I don't know. I'm sorry I bothered you, mister. I thought, I thought you had... You were floating there, not moving, and I figured you had passed away. I'm sorry. I didn't know what to say. I'd been about to strip the poor man of his life jackets. Now he was alive and obviously quite delirious. He ain't dead. He ain't. I can see that. But I sure wish you would settle down. These waters are full of sharks and... No sharks! No! Lepowski said there were no sharks, and no sharks would get me, but you killed him! You killed him! He grew agitated again thrusting his arms back and forth in the water. Sailor, tell me your name, I said. You want Natowski's life jacket because you killed him. He tossed it high, and I watched it spin wildly through the air and land several yards away. There would be no way for me to retrieve it without diving in now. Let me help you, I suggested. You can grab hold of our raft and drift along with us until we get rescued. In truth, I didn't want him anywhere near us, but I hoped the offer would calm him down. It had the opposite effect. Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? You'd get rid of me just like you did Latowski, he said, and he tugged at the straps of his life jacket. He was taking it off. Sailor, I said, don't do that. You need to keep that jacket on. There was no stopping him. For several minutes, I pleaded with him as he worked the lots loose. He raved about Latowski, becoming more and more unhinged with each passing moment. Me and Latowski, we're a team, brothers. What did you do to him? If he doesn't have one of these, I won't have one. He shrugged out of the vest and swam over to the one he'd tossed. He shot me a dirty look and ripped into them with his teeth like a rabid dog. He barely seemed human anymore. Was that what would happen to all of us eventually? Did this endless sea make everything and it turn crazy? Mister, don't do that. You've got to put it back on, please. I said, I watched as he massacred those life vests. They weren't going to do anything for anyone now. Please just come float with us. You're going to get rescued. Something changed in him then. He looked right at me, right in the eye, and his expression grew calm. We aren't going to get rescued. Matowski said so. He said the ship, the ship exploded. They never had time to get the distress call out. We're all alone. All alone. You don't know that. A planer's ship could come along at any minute. You have to hold on. Please swim over and get that life jacket in. No! No! He said calmly. I'm going to get Latowski. He'll know what to do. He gave me one last look and then sunk beneath the waves with the tattered life jackets clutched in his fists. And that was the end of chapter 13 and a little bit of a cliffhanger for us. So, alright, so I'm really hoping that you're enjoying uh, this audiobook with me. It's been a really interesting read and it's gotten a lot more exciting as we are now trying to survive the shipwreck. So we have Benny and he's in pretty bad shape and Teddy's having a hard time and Patrick 
is kind of just trying to hold it all together. So, you know, it's kind of an intense read and actually, you know, it's a pretty exciting. For a while there, I was struggling uh, with this audio story. Now that they're in the water and it's kind of a more life into struggle, it's, it's gotten to me really um, interesting. So today, aside from our story, I'll tell you a little bit about what I've been doing today. Today I've been working on a work project where I am doing more recording. I'm <laughs> doing um, an audio recording for training for our work. Um, basically how to show um, a new hire how to use our computer systems if they hire it in brand new. So that's been kind of exciting, but a lot of reading. So my voice is a little hoarse today. I've been talking since early, early morning. I'm a little bit tired, but overall, it's a beautiful, beautiful Saturday. And earlier this afternoon, we had baked a little chicken. And I love to cook. I love to make wonderful meals if I can. And I like to cook simple. So my meal today that I made was a baked chicken and I used my black boiling pan. My mother had one when I was growing up that she would make these amazing meals in and I kind of feel like if I have that pan I can make anything. So I had some nice uh, cucumber, I'm sorry not cucumber, celery stalks. I had a really nice celery in my kitchen. I, I like to use celery for stir-fry dishes. So I had two stalks that I chopped up into nice pieces and I laid that all on the bottom of my pan. And then I took an onion and I sliced it into some kind of nice slices. And I had the last of an elephant ear clove of garlic. I love garlic. I, I think it's tasty, delicious. It smells amazing. And elephant ear garlic is probably one of my favorite. It's a big, huge garlic clove. And I like to take it and slice it um, into into discs like the, the garlic clove. And then I added that with my onions and my celery. And I took my chicken and it was a whole little chicken and I rinsed him uh, really nicely. He had the little arms and the little legs. <laughs> and I took olive oil and I had layered olive oil just over my vegetables and then I laid my chicken right on top of the celery and the onions and the garlic. Then I took my olive oil and I kind of drizzled it over the top of the chicken and I rubbed him really good. He got a massage. And then I used my favorite spices. I like to use um, mustache um, seasoning, seasonings. Uh, we, we are very careful about salt here at my house and eating fatty foods. So we eat pretty lean when we can and as healthy as we can. I like to use a lot of natural foods. So we did um, put my chicken in and I sprinkled garlic powder over the top of him because I love garlic and chicken seasoning. So this had a blend of like paprika and it had like little herbs de Provence. It had like little thyme and some rosemary in it and just kind of um, a nice little table blend and it was kind of reddish so it had, I could see the paprika in it. And then I covered my chicken up 
I stuck it in the oven and I baked it at 350 degrees for a little over an hour. So I cook by smell and I cook visually. I don't really use recipes. I like to follow recipes. Uh, baking, I absolutely follow because that's like chemistry. You want to get the measurements right. But for cooking, it's a little more, um, it's a little more off the cuff. You know, you can, you have a little more leniency with what you want to do. So I threw the chicken in the oven and cooked it until my house started smelling delicious. Then I got the chicken out and let it rest. I took the lid off. I did let it brown, so I took the cover off right as it was smart, starting to smell really good. And then I just let it brown in the oven for a little bit, and I kind of crisped the skin that was on the top. And then, it was maybe about five minutes, and then I just took the chicken out and let it rest on my stovetop so that, you know, it would cool off and have a time to kind of settle. I made a side of stuffing, so it was like a mini Thanksgiving dinner. My son um, had a 14th birthday yesterday, and he requested that I make that I would make him a baked chicken. So I did. I made him a baked chicken, and we made him stuffing, um, instant stuffing, because you know we did we cheated. And I like to put like diced hard-boiled eggs in my stuffing, so we did that too. And we had like a little mini Thanksgiving meal for his birthday. So that was really something special that we got to do for him. But I wanted to also record these recordings because it's been, I missed it last week. And I wanted to continue the story. Um, right now we are still sheltering in place during this COVID-19 um, experience. And I'd been reading to you every weekend. Uh, last weekend, things were a little busy with my work, and I ended up having to work over the weekend. I'm very fortunate and that I'm able to work from home right now, but because I am working from home, I'm getting a lot of extra projects, which is actually really tiring. I think I'm working more here at home than when I actually go in and spend time, you know, there at work there and you know in person so I had some projects to finish which pulled me away from you so I am very sorry that I missed being able to record I have this segment that is coming out that I'll be posting today if you are following this story and I will be recording for us three more chapters tomorrow and at this point we're getting pretty close to the end of the book we are more than halfway through and I just know that these young boys are going to get rescued and picked up at any point. So they're kind of going through a lot of survival um, issues right now. So I'm really liking the way that Michael Spradling has, has written this story. To me, it was kind of hard at first to get into, but now I'm, I'm really invested and it's reading pretty easy and I'm really enjoying it. I did get a new microphone, so I'm hoping that my audio quality is a lot better for you and that listening is a lot easier. So I'm still messing around with some of my settings. This is all new for me. So uh, be patient with me. Be kind. <laughs> and I will continue to read marvelous and hopefully fun stories. So I'm still considering The Dark Tower for us and or Harry Potter, just let me know how you feel about that, and we will continue our SEPA story. So, 
Have a wonderful rest of your day or night, and I will continue with six more chapters upcoming in our next session. So you take care and sending good wishes and positive vibes out to you. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, night, morning, whatever it is, be wonderful in it. Bye.